For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But, what, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the word of God, which is the Bible. We want to thank you, O Lord, for the scriptures that you have caused to be written down and kept and preserved for us. We thank you, O Lord, that the scriptures are a light for our feet, a lamp for our path. They show us the way to go. We thank you, O Lord, that the scriptures reveal who you are and who we are and our desperate need of you and your forgiveness and your cleansing. And we thank you, O Lord, that the scriptures tell us about Jesus Christ who came into this world to die in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made clean. And we thank you, Lord, that the scriptures hold out a glorious hope for all who would trust in Jesus that one day we shall be like him in glory. We thank you, Lord, for your word and we pray that you would bless it to us as we consider it in a few moments' time. We pray, O oh Lord, today for the world, Father, for the world that has gone so far from you. 
Oh Lord, events of this week in America and events of this week in the Ukraine. Oh Lord, speak of the, the wickedness of man who has turned away from God and has chosen his own way and his own path. And Lord, we see what death and destruction follow. Lord, how we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to be uh, spoken clearly, to be revealed clearly, and for men and women and boys and girls to believe it and be saved and to be brought into the, the knowledge of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. Father, we live in a desperate world. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your compassion upon us. We want to thank you, O Lord, for all the good things that we enjoy in this world as well. Father, the things that you have provided for us, the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the roofs over our heads, friends and family, jobs to do. Father, a comfortable life in this country, Father, that we can enjoy and you have blessed us with. We would pray, though, for those who are finding things difficult at the moment financially father for those whose money is going less far than it used to be and who have to make difficult decisions and who have to cut back oh father we pray that you would grant them wisdom and father a contentment in being satisfied with what you have given mm. oh father help us we pray also to be generous with those who have a little. And Father, where we can, help us to be able to support and help. And help us to be wise about that, Lord. Help us not to be condescending. And Father, help us not to be too proud to ask for help as well. Oh, Father, we pray for your church to be, uh, to be generous in providing for those who have a little. Father, we want to thank you for our Queen as we come into this week of celebration of her Platinum Jubilee. We want to thank you for her, uh, her years of service on the throne, being our monarch, being our figurehead. We thank you, Lord, for every indication that she is a believer in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for every indication of her faith. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we might be able to use that example as a means where we too can speak about our faith, that we can declare what we know to be true, that Jesus Christ is the only Saviour, the only name by which men and women must be saved. Help us, we pray, to take opportunities uh, that are offered by this time of celebration to speak about Jesus Christ. We want to pray, O oh Lord, for the, the church here, that you would lead it on in these days. And in good time, O oh Lord, we pray that you would provide a pastor to lead this church, to serve you faithfully here. Father, may the church be ready and willing and open to recognise the, the man whom you have called. Yeah. Oh, Father, and may that, uh, may that choice, may that decision be made quickly 
O Lord, that the church would have good leadership. In the meantime, we pray, O Lord, for the leaders of the church who bear an increased burden. Father, give them the strength, the wisdom, the gifts and the energy to carry out their responsibilities. And may those, O Lord, who are members of the church be ready and willing to be led. Build the church up, we pray, and strengthen it in these days. Bind it together. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. Thank you, O Lord, that you hear our prayers, that you listen, that you answer, because you have promised to do so as we ask our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, before we, t- before we turn to God's word, let's sing again 712 in the hymn book, 712, a prayer that God would um, reinvigorate us, re-energise us in our faith. 712, Lord of the cross of shame, set my cold heart aflame with love for you, my saviour and my master. 712. Romans chapter 8 from verse 18 is where we are this morning. The Bible is one story, one consistent uh, story from the book of Genesis through to the book of Revelation. It is one story, which is that God is calling a people to be his own. 
through Jesus Christ, who is the saviour of God's people. That's, that's the message of the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation. And for many, <clears throat> Paul's letter to the Romans is the greatest telling of that story. The greatest, clearest expression of that one story, Paul's letter to the Romans. And for many, Romans chapter 8 is the high point of the book of Romans, where that story is told most clearly. And for some, even within Romans chapter 8, verse 28, is the highest point. The highest point. Romans eight twenty-eight. We know that in all things God works together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is the vantage point from which we see everything else. In chapter 8, um, leading up to our passage this morning, Roman, uh, jo- Paul has already told us that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. If you're saved by Christ, you have no condemnation before God. Your sins are forgiven, they are dealt with. He's told us that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, uh, making us alive to God. And through the Spirit, we, we receive assurance that we are God's children, we're his. But despite this, says Paul, we are a work in progress. The creation, he says, groans. And God's people groan because we are not yet finished. We're not yet the completed article. That is to come, says Paul. But nevertheless, God is at work within us, he says. The Holy Spirit is at work within us, helping us to pray. pray helping us to pray in line with God's will for us. This is what Paul is saying and and now as he's gone through this in chapter 8 we come to these familiar words in verse 28 we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose this verse is a precious verse for Christians a precious verse but it has been Abused, it has been misunderstood by so many. And what I want us to see this morning is what this verse means. What it means, because it causes confusion. It doesn't mean, for example, that it will be all right on the night. It'll be okay. Don't worry, God's got it sorted in that kind of cavalier sort of way. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that if you wrap your car around a lamppost, don't worry, because God will ensure you get a good insurance payout and you can buy a better car tomorrow. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that if a Christian dies tragically, that within a few weeks we will see the plan of God in this and be able to rejoice. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that if someone dies young, that God was protecting them from something that would have been even worse if they had gone on to live. It doesn't mean that at all. This verse is not 
about God working to get us out of trouble. It's not describing how God is capable of fixing every trouble we have quickly and immediately. No. The key to understanding verse 28 is to understand what the good is that Paul is talking about here. We know that all things work together for good. What is the good that Paul is talking about? Because the danger is that we assume that because the all things are temporal, in other words, in our experience now, because the all things that God is working in is our experience now, we assume that the good that God is working to is therefore temporal and in our experience now. We assume it's today. But when Paul is talking about our good in verse 28, he's talking about our future good. And not just tomorrow, but our eternal future. He's looking far beyond today. What Paul is saying is that God causes all things to work together for our eternal good. Not today, necessarily. Not just tomorrow either, but eternal good. God causes all things to work together for the eternal good of those who are the called, according to his purpose. No matter what happens in our lives now, today, God is working it together for our ultimate eternal good. That's what Paul is saying. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning under three points. First of all, the past. The past. Christians have been called in eternity past. Secondly, future. Future. God's purpose, God's future goal for us is for us to be Christ-like. And then thirdly, present. God is at work now, today, making us more Christ-like. Past, future, present. So first of all, let's look at the past. These great words of hope that Paul pens here are written to Christians who have been called in eternity past. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, the called, according to his purpose. The word called here refers to what theologians call an effective call or an effectual call or a saving call. Think of it like this. Billy Graham, or another great evangelist, preaching to thousands in a stadium, makes a call, doesn't he? He says, you need to repent and turn to Jesus as your saviour. He makes that call to tens of thousands of people. But it's only those who believe, who accept that call, who trust in Jesus, It's only they who are the called, for whom that call was effective. Think of it with Jesus as well. Jesus preached to thousands, didn't he? 
spoke to thousands of people, but not everyone followed him. Only those who were effectively called, only those whom God put his hand on and called, they followed. Verse 30 explains the work of God in bringing us to salvation. Verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. These he, whom he called, these he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a, a progression, isn't there? There's a sense of inevitability about it all. And so if we are saved, it's because God has done the work. God has started it right in the very beginning by predestining and calling us. If we're saved, it's not because we've decided it. It's not our decision. It's because God has called us. And as verse 29 makes clear, it all happened in the past. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, if God foreknows and God predestines, it's certainly before I came on the scene. It's certainly in my past, isn't it? If God foreknew, if God predestined, it's a work that was done in the past. So we have been called, according to God's eternal purpose, in the past. Which means that if we are Christians... And if we can take, therefore, comfort from this verse, it is because God has called us in the past. Now, we can be sure that trouble will come. Trouble is coming our way. If we're not in trouble today, then we will be tomorrow. Trouble comes from all kinds of areas, doesn't it? It comes from outside us. Cost of living crisis. War in Ukraine, car trouble, family problems, things that are outside us cause us trouble. We have trouble within us, illness, COVID-19, cancer, old age, dementia, troubles within us. And there's trouble that we create for ourselves, isn't there? Because we are sinful, we're flawed, we make wrong decisions, we say the wrong thing, we think the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing. Make mistakes all the time, which cause us trouble. But this verse tells us that no matter what this trouble is, God is working it together for our good because he has called us. We are his. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. Chapter 12 and verse 5, writer to the Hebrews says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. God, when he disciplines us, when he trains us, does it because he loves us. Verse verse. Uh, verse, verse 10 the writer says this God does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful nevertheless afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained 
by it. God has called us. And in our lives he disciplines us. Why? For our good. It's for our benefit. The psalmist puts it like this. Psalm 119, verse 71. The psalmist said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Why was the psalmist afflicted by a faithful God? Because he was called in eternity past by God himself. God controls everything. He controls those who get sick. He controls those who get well. He is sovereign in all things and his decisions are for the good of those whom he called in eternity past. Even if that trouble is great, even if that trouble goes on for a long time, even if we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, here is the promise that for those whom God has called in eternity past, he's working these things out for our good because he has his hand upon us because we are the call of God so this is what has happened in the past God has called us these great words of hope are written to Christians who have been called in eternity past we know that in all things that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Second, let's see what this verse tells us about the future. The future. Verse 28, again, we know that all things work together for good for, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Purpose. God has a purpose for us in the future. As I said earlier, we often assume that because the all things are happening to us now, we think the good to which God is working is now, today. But it's not. It's the future. It's the purpose that God has for us. God's purpose is not primarily about today. It goes far beyond. His canvas is much bigger than the canvas that we would have for ourselves. He is looking way, way into the future. Chapter 8 tells us that at the moment everything is incomplete. It's a work in progress. God is still working things out. It's not finished. And we see it, Paul says, in the creation. Verse 19. The expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation's waiting, the creation's hoping. We see it in Christians as well. Verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Future. It's in time. Verse 23. 
We have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption. It's coming. Not today. It's coming in the future. We are waiting. But it's not always going to be a waiting game. It's going to come to fulfilment. God has a plan. That's what verse 28 tells us. We are, being, we are called according to his purpose. And God's purpose for us in the future is very clear. Very clear. Verse 29 tells us, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The purpose of God for us is that we become like Jesus Christ. We become like Jesus. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We were called in the past to be like Jesus in the future. And so it is for the Christian that God's eternal purpose for us is to bring us to Christ-likeness, to make us into the very image of his Son. And that is the good that Paul is talking about in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? That we're like Jesus. That's the good that God is working out in our lives. And it's not a vain hope. It's concrete. It's defined. It's real. Verse 17. If we're children, says Paul, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Glorified together. That's the view that Paul has in mind. That's the good that Paul is talking about in verse 28, that ultimately we will be made like Jesus. So our good is not to be freed today from sickness or trouble or pain or disappointment or sadness. The good that Paul is talking about is in the future. That's the glory of being made in the very image of God, Jesus Christ. That's the all things that God is working together to make true for us. And what a comfort that is as we struggle today with sickness and disappointment and sin and trouble. What a comfort that is for us now that God's future purpose for us is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And all these things are somehow working together to that purpose. One writer calls it the high and holy destiny for which the elect are appointed by God. Another commentator puts it like this. Seeing the glorious work of God in Christ in verse 29 is not just incidental information. It is the revelation of who God is, how God acts, how God loves and saves and keeps. In other words, verse 29 defines for us God's purpose in verse 28. 
We are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To point us beyond the here and now to the future. To tell us that God is working in our troubles now to make us like Jesus in the future. That's the encouragement that Paul has for us. So second, this verse tells us about the future, God's future purpose. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we've had the past. These words are written to Christians who have been called in eternity past. We've seen about the future, how God's eternal purpose for us is to be like Jesus. Thirdly then, let's look at the present. Let's look at the present. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together. Who is working all things together? Fate? Chance? Random throwing of the dice by the cosmic powers that exist in some far-off galaxy? No. God. God is working all things together. Who is in control of this? Whose hand is on the tiller of the universe? And my life and your life? It is God. God is working these things out. He is working in our lives right now in the present. God's work in the present is based on his past work and his future work. We were called in the past. His plan for us is to be like Jesus. And right now he's at work making that possible. Making that true. Making that real for us. He says, I called you. I'm making you like Jesus. And I'm at work right now. And that should give us comfort, shouldn't it? That should give us encouragement. Because our present is guaranteed by both our past and our future. Often adverts will tell you, won't they? Past performance is not a guide to the future. Well, with God God it is. His past performance is 100% a guide to the future. Which means we can be confident about what he's doing in our lives right now. You might say, well, you know, that's all very well and good. That in the future I'll be like Jesus. But what about now? What about now? I'm hurting now. I'm in pain now. I'm ill now. I'm sad now. I'm disappointed now. What, what comfort have you got to offer me now? Well, maybe think of it this way. Maybe think of it this way. We accept the wisdom, don't we, and the knowledge of the doctor or the consultant who says, this is your problem and you need to take this medicine or you need this course of treatment or you need this surgery in order to make you better. We don't resent 
the doctor, do we? We don't resent the consultant. We don't say, you're doing this to me. Why are you doing this to me? We know that we are unwell. We know we need help. And we trust the doctor to prescribe the right help for us, don't we? We don't resent him or her for saying that. The treatment might be painful, but we go through it because we know it is ultimately for our good. And we need to see God's work in our lives in the same way, I think. We need to trust our Father, as Jesus did, as his own Son did. We need to look to Jesus. If you think about Jesus, at the moment of his greatest trial, at the moment of his greatest suffering on the cross, what did Jesus do? Well, he trusted his Father, didn't he? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, as he died. He trusted his Father. He was obedient to his Father, even to death. He cries out, it is finished, as he gives up his life. He trusted his Father. He was obedient to his Father. And God's calling upon us is that we too are conformed to the image of Jesus. Now that's a high bar, isn't it? That's a really high bar to be like Jesus. How can we possibly be like that today in our lives? Well, Jesus, again, is our example. He is our saviour. He is our example. The writer to the Hebrews, again, chapter 5. And verse 7, the writer speaks about Jesus and says of him, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. Now that's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? That's a mystery. How does the perfect Son of God learn anything? He's perfect. How does he learn through obedience? Well, he was obedient in a way that no one has ever been obedient before or since. Or ever can be. His obedience was perfect and he demonstrated his perfection in being obedient. Think of a weightlifter in an Olympic competition. Which of the weightlifters truly understands the magnitude of the weight that they are lifting? It's not the one who gets so far and for whom the weight is too heavy to bear and has to put it down. They understand something of the weight, don't they? They understand something of the enormity of the load that they're trying to carry. But it's only the one who wins the competition, who lifts the weight. Only they understand what it really feels to stand under that weight. Well, in the same way, only Jesus understands what it is truly, what it truly means to be obedient to God. He was perfect. 
and his obedience, his perfect obedience was accomplished at the cross. He learned obedience in that sense. And so it is with us. He is the one that we look to. So just as Jesus learned obedience in that God didn't take away the cup of suffering, but Jesus went to the cross and drank it and so was made perfect, so with us as well. God does not always take away that cup of suffering. But he asks us to go through it. God doesn't always rescue us out of trouble, but he promises to be with us through it. Paul knew this, didn't he? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks about the thorn in his flesh. Three times he says, I prayed to God to take it away. But God didn't take it away. Instead of healing him, God said no. Because what I want for you out of this pain and suffering is something that you would not learn otherwise. Which is my grace. My grace will be sufficient for you. And you will understand that my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul, you won't understand that if I heal you. But I'll be with you through it. My grace will be sufficient. My power will be made perfect in weakness. As you serve me, not in healing, but in pain and suffering. And God's purpose for us is that we too learn obedience through what we suffer. To be like Jesus in the present. To learn obedience. To be like Jesus in the future, that's what God is working to. But also to be like him in the present. God is at work now in all things. God is working for our good. So... Do we need, with a stiff upper lip and a stoicism, to just plough on, grit our teeth, plough on through suffering as if it's not really hurting us at all? No, we don't. We need to look to God in Jesus Christ because he is the one. Jesus is the one who went first. It means that we can turn to God in prayer. We can seek his help. We can know his purpose in our lives today to make us more like Jesus. And so it is then that this wonderful verse speaks of our past, that we're called in eternity past. It speaks of our future, that one day we will be like Christ. And it speaks of our present, how God is at work now in our lives, changing us to be more like Jesus. Jesus. The beginning and the end guarantees the middle, doesn't it? The past and the future guarantee the present and it is all wrapped up in the glorious purpose of God, which is why Paul says we know. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. We know says Paul. This isn't intuition, that isn't a vain hope, this is concrete and real and sure. God knows what he is doing, says Paul. He knew it in the past when he called us. He knows it in the future because he's making us like Jesus and he knows what he's doing right now 
in our present, even if sometimes we don't. He's moulding us and shaping us into the very image of God. He knows what he's doing. And so says Paul, we know, we know, called in the past, according to his glorious purpose for us in the future. And God is at work right now, causing all things to work together for our good, that we might be like Jesus. What a tremendous verse this is. The high point, the vantage point from which we see everything else.